Hey, what's going on? It's At The Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Ben Nixon-Smith, Arden Zwelling, Christian Ryan, and Nick Andrade are behind the lens and behind the audio controls. We're here at Yankee Stadium over the last several days during this Blue Jays and Yankees series in the Bronx. We've been asking some of our colleagues a question that we kind of wanted to hear them answer because we were debating it ourselves. And we thought, oh, it could be that guy, it could be him, it could be him, it could be him. There's really a lot of candidates for it. That question is... Who's going to be the most compelling Toronto Blue Jay to watch over the next eight weeks? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think there's no wrong answer. We're going to hear a lot of very convincing answers from our colleagues and hear their thoughts on why exactly it is that they've picked uh, the players and in at least one case, non-player uh, that they've landed on. But really uh, critical time for the Blue Jays here as they enter this final stretch of the season. So you know, it's a lot at stake. And each one of those individuals uh, that we're about to talk about here has the chance to shape things, um, potentially in a big way as they move ahead. Shai Davidi, Arash Madani, Dan Schulman, Ben Wagner, all sharing their thoughts after this on who they believe is going to be the most compelling Blue Jay to watch over the rest of the season. Arash Madani, Blue Jay sideline reporter, pulled in on an off day to answer an incredibly important question. The incredibly most important. Incredibly okay. important. Okay. We're asking everybody. Yep. The most compelling Blue Jay to watch for the next eight weeks is. You told me it didn't have to be a player. It doesn't. So to me, it's John Schneider. You make the move with Charlie Montoyo just before the All-Star break. You are giving Schneider almost three months of runway. Somebody who's been in this organization forever. At every level, with all the kids coming up. And if they get into the playoffs, if they punch their ticket to the postseason, you have to think Schneider has earned his way to becoming the manager of this team next season. What if they don't? Right. Yeah. Then what happens? And that, to me, changes the entire complexion of the offseason. That changes the trajectory of the franchise. That changes where John Schneider's stature with the club is. So, to me, that, that over the next number of weeks is the thing to watch. Yeah, 100%. And first of all, it's nice to be the one asking you the questions yes. in this setting. Because <laughs> yes. often you're asking me and Arden, so nice to have the tables turned for a moment here. Um, but I want to build off of that and say, and, and get a sense of, because you're right too, the checklist for Ross Atkins would be massively different if he has to do a manager search, right? As opposed to, all right, it's Schneider, we're good to go. So, And it's the, not just a manager search, it's a coaching staff yeah. search too. Yeah. If Schneider goes, how many holdovers remain? It could be a very different number. So, as you're watching this unfold here, what are you going to be looking for from Schneider as indications that he is that guy? I mean, the wins and losses will tell the story, but beyond that, is there anything? I think that's it. I think it's... I don't know if two and a half months in a playoff push is enough time to really get a sense of how the players respond to somebody, especially when you know what the tangible goal at the end is. It's not that he was a new hire... A lot of these guys, well, some of these guys have known him for a long time. Uh, the majority of them have known him for a decent amount of time. So, you know, we're already seeing the imprints, the aggressiveness and, and, and the rest. And there seems to be a response to him. But I think the ultimate measure is, do you get in or do you not? And if you get in, how do you do in the wild card round? Yeah. The bottom line's the bottom line. Well, and you mentioned the aggressiveness, seeing a lot more hit and run, a lot yes. more pinch running. We've seen lineup shuffles. We've seen players who aren't playing well, not playing as much yes. as they were before. We've seen the word urgency 
thrown around. Not a word I don't think Charlie Montoya ever said in his time as Blue Jays manager. Do you think that is all related to the limited time that John Schneider has to make an impression as manager of this club? I, I find the Bichette thing really interesting because when John took over, I think it was just like the first day or second second day, is when Bichette got moved into the cleanup spot. Yeah. And we spoke with him and he said, this is not just going to be for a little while. He said, you know, I want Bo Bichette up the play with runners on base and we're going to give this a runway. And they gave it a month. And then Bo is hitting seventh. I think everybody here is understanding what this is, is that this is not time for experimentation anymore. This is not time for, all right, let's see if this is going to work out. It is produce or we need to make a change. Produce or it's got to be different. I like that. Um, I don't know how much that has to do with the managerial change. Yeah. I think it has to do with the fact that we're in late August and it's... It's go time. It's go time. Yeah, really. And, and I think most of the communication that's most important happens behind the scenes. We don't even see it. Of course. And, and yet, there's still an outward-facing element. And it's been interesting watching Schneider so far in the ways that he deals with us and talks to the fans. So what do you think of his outward approach so far with respect to media, fans, kind of his messaging? Yeah, John's polished. John's been through this. He's been in the managerial chair at different levels. He understands the market. He understands what we need, what fans want to hear. And I I think some of the more interesting things we've seen from him is think of the the Baltimore series at home just before this one. I think it was on the Tuesday late in the game. Espinal was on first. It was a hit and run situation. He gets nailed at second base. Right away, he went over to have the conversation with Espinal. We were at Fenway Park right after the All-Star break, and maybe it was Guriel who got nailed on the bases. Right away, Schneider came all the way down to the dugout yeah. to have the conversation with him, to, to talk things through. And so I would say the biggest thing that I've noticed is the communication in the moment yeah. that's evident in-game. Because the rest of it, we just wouldn't know. I don't know that we saw that same level of bedside manner from Charlie all the time. And so what we see out here, and who knows what happens behind closed doors, but it does like make me think about how hard it is to be a manager in today's game. It's not like it was during like Joe Girardi years, right? It's not like it was back in the day. Nowadays, as a manager, you're not just managing down to your players. You're managing up to your front office. And those can be very different messages. Like, those two poles can be rather opposite from one another. Think about the shifting with Kevin Gosman, right? This is the front office that wants to shift aggressively. We've seen Mm. it all year. Kevin Gosman has, like, this insane BABIP batting average on balls in play of, like, 370 because hits keep going against the shift. I was just talking to Zach Pop, who said, I don't really want to shift behind me. I'm throwing a sinker. I'm trying to get ground balls. I want to just be played straight up. That's what I liked in Miami. Do you ever really kind of think about like how difficult it is as a manager to have to speak those two languages nowadays? So let's divide them real quick. Yeah. With the players, you have to know, not even 26, all 35 guys who are yep. up and down as individuals. As a leader, how does Espinal respond to public criticism or private criticism? Can I make an example of him in-game? Will he respond to it? Bill Belichick was able to sit in a team meeting and rip Brady. He was able to be on the practice field and absolutely tear Brady apart, knowing Tom was going to respond to it. Was Cam Newton going to be the same? You have to know your people. And I think that's an advantage Schneider has is that he's been able to have some kind of rapport with not just the the Bichettes, the Biggios, the Romanos, the Guerreros, but just the last couple of years with some of the guys to understand 
do I do this privately? Do I do this in-game? Do I do this after the game? How will they respond if I handle it this way? I think that's an important part of leading and leadership. A hundred percent. And I think, I guess it, it prompts me to kind of look back at the Charlie Montoyo era a little bit and all of the ups and downs that came with that. He got years, right? 2019, 20, and 21. So he had a period of years. John Schneider, in this period of time right now, has no room for error. So that's going to inform everything too, because if he makes a wrong step with one of these guys, then there's not necessarily time to make up for that. And that only adds to the challenge. Yeah, I, I would also say that no manager, maybe in the history of baseball, had more challenges than Charlie Montoyo did. A global pandemic, no home stadium, yep. three home stadiums, uncertainty, vax mandates, families, manage it all. I think what, what Montoyo is able to navigate is the most challenging ask for a coach, manager, a person in a leadership position without hyperbole, maybe in the history of professional sports. And when you really start peeling back the layers of what went into that, it's remarkable. The fact that they got in the playoffs and missed by a game is wild. But you're right. Now there's no margin for error at all. And maybe a little. These guys are 12 and 23 in their last 35, and maybe just the Twins legitimately are nipping at their heels. Sorry, Orioles. Um... But yeah, there's very little wiggle room. How about that? So to tie a bow on this, let me ask you a question that you asked at the beginning. And let's say the Blue Jays miss the playoffs by a game. Yes. Again, John Schneider's the manager through that time. They miss playoffs by a game. Like you asked, what happens? What happens? What do you think happens? Well, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, and I truthfully, and I've thought about this. Yeah. Like the offseason is its own animal, right? So does somebody become available that they have interest in? Do they feel confident in Schneider regardless? Do they want to keep this band together? Will they have exit interviews with players, and will that weigh into their decision-making? I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the easy answer is I don't know, and these are the reasons I don't know. Yeah. I would say just for me, like the institutional knowledge that John Schneider has of knowing these guys when they were coming up through the minors, you can't replace that, right? And I don't know how it would go if you went out and got name your veteran manager who is available with a name that everybody knows how that would impact this clubhouse and whether it would be an upgrade or whether it would be better than a guy who knows these players so intimately and so well i think even if the blue jays miss the playoffs honestly i would and allowing that anything can happen over the next 45 games so crazy stuff could happen i would probably advocate for john schneider continuing on as manager next year and, and i think it's a question of how it goes because it's all about the vibe that you end on and if there's a injury if they have three injuries tomorrow and it's just apparent they're going to fall out of it that's such a different story than if he's pulling the strings on the final weekend it's not working and as you said arash those exit interviews some of that behind the scenes stuff a lot of questions still unanswered arash Danny, thank you so much thanks boys thank you here's hernandez the oscar jolts one high in the air out to left center field Judge back at the wall. He stops. He looks up. It's gone. Welcome to the spacious confines of the visitors radio booth uh, at Yankee Stadium, a.k.a. the workplace of one Ben Wagner, the radio voice of the Toronto Blue Jays. Thanks for welcoming us into your office. Yeah, thanks for getting cozy with me. Yeah, it's nice to have company. That's the first thing. The second thing is a very important question that I have for you, and that is who will be 
the most compelling Toronto Blue Jay to watch over the next eight weeks? Wow, that is a multi-layered question. When I hear the question, here's what I think. I think you could go offense, you could go defense, you could go pitching, and a number of different layers with that. Jose Barrios is a big question mark. What role will Whit Merrifield have for the Toronto Blue Jays down the stretch? I'm going to lean off the board a little bit. Let's do it. Off the board. Yep. I'm going to say Jimmy Garcia. Oh, wow. Wow. Jimmy Garcia, I think, has a very important role down the stretch for the Toronto Blue Jays. And if they can get him into positions where he is, one, shown that he can be successful, but also be successful and get those returns. When he has his blowups, we know that it's control and it leads to big innings. But when he's good, he's been really good. And I find that if he's good with a couple of days in between, he's even a better version of Jimmy Garcia. So that eighth inning role for me is so important regardless of who has it. If Jimmy Garcia can grab it and run with it, John Schneider and P. Walker have way more easier decisions to make down the stretch for the success of this team. And it's so interesting because, as you say, there are times where if he comes out of the bullpen after, say, a couple days of rest, his stuff is so good. It's so crisp. There's so much good velocity behind it. And that's not necessarily the case if he's going back-to-back days or if he's pitching just more heavily in the course of a week. So how do you think the Jays manage that in the course of this season? Because they're playing must-win games. I don't want to say must-win. They're playing big games right now. But at the same time, they have to make sure that if they're in a three-game wildcard series, he has to be able to go two of those. I'm going to say, how do you manage it down the stretch is probably Anthony Bass and also Adam Simber. And what pockets can be identified within the given lineups that the Blue Jays are going to face. And I think that's that's one of the ways you can work around Jimmy Garcia and make sure he's going to have that rest. And once you get into the playoffs, uh, wild card is it, right? Let's yeah. talk about the wild card. We know it's going to be three straight days, and I'm bang on with you. I think two out of those three, you have to have your horses ready to go yeah. in those situations. And Jimmy Garcia, for me, is going to be one of those guys. So I think it's, it's how you also get around Jimmy Garcia. It's... It's going to be Adam Simber. It's going to be Anthony Bass. On the fray there is also Trevor Richards and what kind of returns you're going to get on him and when and where can you work him in because everything is built off of that first reliever. Mm -hmm. It's always interesting to see how the Blue Jays are maneuvering through the bullpen right now. If you get into the sixth in that seventh inning with a runner on, is it going to be a one and done? Do you want an up-down from somebody and who that somebody is, given on where that lineup is. And it changes every day, right? With the way that lineups are constructed right now, and it's really fun to kind of plot out and play GM and and manager (laughs) as the game goes on. Well, and if Jordan Romano is not available, Jimmy Garcia is this club's closer, right? Like, without question. So that's why I think this is actually a great shout. I didn't expect you to go this way, but I love the angle because, yeah, say Jordan Romano isn't available in Game 3 of that wildcard series because, say, he had a save in Game 1 and they needed him for, like, four or five outs in Game 2 and they really grinded him, but he got through it and he's not available in Game 3 or he tries to warm up and it's not there. Jimmy Garcia is the guy with a tight lead in the 8th, ninth extra innings and that he could be the guy with the ball in his hands for the most crucial moment of the season. 1000% and the Blue Jays have given them that opportunity and it's not gone well at times but he has had that opportunity in the past and he succeeded in it and that's why coming into the season I thought Jimmy Garcia would have an impact role for this Blue Jays team and he had a little bit of issues spent some time on the injured list but man as I look at it and I step back and I really ponder like where is going to be a big spot a big role Jimmy's going to factor into that leading up to Jordan Romano or you're bang on too is the fact that 
those final three outs are the most difficult to get. And I don't think you want to give them to somebody that hasn't been there in that situation. At least Jimmy's got a body of work around it. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as much as we talk about, obviously, your Jose Barrios, your Kevin Gosman, the starting pitchers on this team, Ross Stripling, of course, and Manoa. At the same time, it's pretty unlikely that in the highest, highest leverage moment of this season, it's going to be one of those guys with the ball in their hand. Like Ross Stripling will start big games for this team. There's no question about that. But when it's literally win or go home, then that could very well be a Jimmy Garcia who has the ball in his hand. Well, I, I, that's that's why I keep looking at this <laughs> yeah. thing down the stretch. And you mentioned must-win games, important games. The Blue Jays haven't had a must-win game yet, but they're going to have them. They're going to have them. And we saw this last year with the way that the Blue Jays won, went in those final couple of weeks. They started to line up their starting pitching. But on the background of that, they were also kind of tinkering with how they were pitching guys, making sure they were rested if they were able to get into the playoffs, but still have some flexibility. Now, on that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, mm-hmm. if they needed a must-win game yeah. to get in, they had it all lined up. So nothing is going to surprise the Blue Jays in this situation, but ultimately the player is going to have to be ready. Yeah. And and you want to have, and in my mind is in this topic of conversation, right? Jimmy Garcia has got to be one of those guys that the Blue Jays lean on down the stretch. Uh, we mentioned the fastball, right? And how I like yeah. the life on the fastball with a couple of days in between outings. But that curveball's got to be crisp. Yeah. I mean, he's got to land it for strikes. He cannot be falling behind. And it seems like in the scouting reports, it's not necessarily fastball strike one, get ahead. It's how does the matchup, how does the swing path, how does a, a projection of this at bat work? So maybe you try to flip a breaking ball in there first, not as a surprise, but because you think that that might be the least effective for the batter as well, you know, and encountering that. So a lot goes into it. And that's why I think, you know, getting Jimmy Garcia rolling, getting him on track and making sure that repertoire is sharp is going to be really important. It almost feels like we haven't talked about Garcia enough this year because he's just been pretty steady all season. Available, I mean, quiet, not a high-maintenance guy. We see him in the clubhouse, and he's just, like, easygoing. I just, he's Jimmy, right? Like, right. And, and that kind of bleeds in sometimes to talking about the team where I just say Jimmy, right? Instead <laughs> of just, you know, I'm saying it's, it's Jimmy Garcia. Right. Um, and, like, you think about the stuff. You mentioned the fastball, the breaking ball. Change-up's been effective. Yeah. He's done a great job this year of limiting home runs, but the curse of a reliever is you only remember when things go wrong. So you remember the mislocated changeup to Rugnet Odor, right? And the, the worst spot you could leave a changeup to Odor. But prior to that, Garcia really didn't give up much much hard contact this year. He's done a really good job of contact management. He's mixed and matched with his pitches really well. Just after signing that free agent deal in the offseason, like he's been a really steady piece for this team. I talked with Jimmy before the season and then in the early stages of the year of how he was settling in and the processes where he was evaluating teams and he talked to 10 teams like he really is evaluating 10 teams looking at where he could go where he could pitch what kind of situations would be in front of him he knew he wouldn't be the closer of the Toronto Blue Jays but back to his heart rate he's a different kind of guy when he's out there with with whatever the role is and that was one of the things that really encouraged him about coming here and finding a place is that he would have a role. He'd have a significant role, but also he wanted to win. So this is all by design with Jimmy over the next couple of years. He wants to be in big games and he expects this franchise to play meaningful baseball down the stretch and down the stretch also includes rolling into October. Absolutely. And he's, he's proven very capable. He's a reliever you want to have on your team. Here's the other thing though, guys, like part of the reality here is the Jays did not go out and get Josh Hader. They did not go out and get David Robertson. So their bullpen right now, I mean, 
Bass is a great pickup. Jimmy Garcia has been a good free agent signing. But it's not as though it's totally loaded with arms that you want to necessarily hand it over to in those spots. So that just more even further reinforces his importance. Underrated, he gives you the swing and miss. Yeah, That's the swing and miss. We've been harping on it for the entire duration of the season. We have called the bullpen incomplete leading into the trade deadline. How are you going to take it to the next step? You get Zach Pop. He's got good fastball velocity. He's got that heavy sink. He's got all that stuff. But he hasn't, as we sit here today, he's not pitching kind of those get in there, get a swing and miss. He's pitching I need a ground ball situations kind of as this tinker toy for John Schneider mm-hmm. uh, after arriving at the trade deadline. Anthony Bass is pitching some interesting scenarios, but it seems like they keep leaning on Jimmy later and later in the ballgame. So with that swing and miss and back to again, Does the fastball have that extra click of velocity? Can he hit the 97s? Can he flirt with the 8s? I think he's a better pitcher when he can. And with doing that, you need to be fresh. Big game, Jimmy. It's going to be in some big-time spots down the stretch. We know it. He's big game. Ben, always in big-time spots. Thanks so much, man. My pleasure. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Time now for Major League Beer for Major League Baseball, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Ben, we're here in the stands at Yankee Stadium. We don't get to go to games that often as fans anymore. We are often in some uh, you know palatial press box up in the sky. But on the occasion that you are able to go to a game, where do you want to be watching it from? Where's the best place to watch a game at an MLB stadium? You know, for me, it's not actually far from where we are right now, behind home plate. I love watching, you know, in spring training, sometimes you can move around a little bit. The obligations are a little different. You've got a bit of a different schedule at times, and the stands are often pretty empty. So I really like trying to find a way to sit behind home plate for a little bit because you can see the movement on the pitch is way better. And I also love hearing it. I think that's one of the underrated things. It's not just what you're seeing, it's what you're hearing. And if you're really close to home plate, you can hear the umpire, you can hear the foul tips, you can hear the catcher, the fans, you're really part of that. So given the choice, I'll take a seat right behind home plate. I know you like to be here in the premium seating, yeah. getting your caviar, getting your champagne, having your feet rubbed. Didn't say anything about foot rubs and caviar, but Hot I do like stone the massage. I know the type of living that you are into. Stick me out in the bleachers. That's really? where I want to be because that's where the real fans are. And I'm a man of the people, if nothing else. So put me out there because look, you want to have an experience. Like that's where you're actually going to have a ballpark experience to be serious. Like that's where you're actually going to enjoy the ballpark and get to meet some like pretty funky people and have a really good time you can go home and watch the game and see the pitch movement you can hear the game really well on television you can go dial up pitch ninja and see like how justin verlander's stuff is moving you can do all that from home you cannot recreate the experience of like sitting in the bleacher, your lower back screaming because you have not right. like rested it on a backrest in how long, drinking some like terrible light beer. You're really selling this. Screaming at an outfielder and like getting to know the other people who can only like afford the cheap seats like you can. That's where you get a real ballpark experience. It's out in the bleachers. It's not here in the premium aisle with Ben. When's the, when is the last time? And, and by the way, that I don't know that I've done that for a major league game in years and years and years but when's the last time you were actually out in the bleachers so i did at fenway park for a bachelor party actually uh i did in uh another bachelor party in uh chicago at the white Sox park which i don't think was called what it's called 
now. But Fenway Park is the one I really remember because that was like yeah. an awesome experience, yeah. like being in the bleachers out there. And I swear, when I'm watching these Yankees games, like I just, especially early in the game because they're so alive, I watch those right field bleachers. Yeah. Because that's where you want to be, man. Like it looks like a good time. I'd yep. much rather be there than here in the comfort and air conditioning where you're, where you're going to find Ben during games. You don't like a good uh, view of the pitches. You don't like a good view of the game. And, and there's no reason you can't have a beer or two when you're sitting in these seats. No, yeah, you can't have a different beer when you're sitting. And, in and in seats. fact, they'll probably serve them to you. Yeah, so that's I mean, right. that's I, I, I'm still sold by my own answer. Here. Also in Japan, I sat in the bleachers as well, and that was wicked I at bet. the Tokyo Dome. That was incredible. Where, by the way, and this is back in the day. I don't know if they still do this, but they come around with like backpack kegs, and the the server had like a keg of beer as a backpack, wow. and just like the little like um, pour device thing. And so you just like, yep, pop your glass and you pour get a it draft up. pint of Miller Lite right there in the stands, right there in the stands at the Tokyo Dome. That's going to be uh, it for Major League Beer for Major League Baseball. After this, some more answers to who is the most compelling Blue Jay to watch over the final eight weeks. All right, Shai Davidi, it's your turn in the hot seat. Or I guess it's the cool seat. Cool seat with this nice air conditioning. Major League leading air conditioning in the (laughs) dugout. Yeah, yeah, we are hiding from a very oppressive day here at Yankee Stadium, but it is relatively cool here. But the question for you is not cool, my friend. (laughs) The question is scorching hot, and it is who will be the most compelling Toronto Blue Jay to watch over the next eight weeks? You know, when you guys told me that we wanted to talk about this, I started thinking about it. I'm like oh, well, who's under the radar that you can come up with? What subtle thing can you kind of pick up? And it's like, you know, don't overcomplicate this. Just just go obvious, you know? And, and to me, it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr., right? Like, if you think about who on this team can really carry the entire club for a month, who can deliver MVP caliber performance over an extended period, it's Vlad, and he's... Certainly picked it up and had a very good stretch here for the Blue Jays. But you know that there's another level in there. We saw it last year. If he can get to that level, he can get to sort of where Aaron Judge has been at points this season. He doesn't have to hit 60 home runs or whatever Aaron Judge <laughs> is on the right. Just be yeah. an MVP. Yeah, just, no big deal. You know, on pace for 60 bombs. But like, but he's got he's got that type of upside for him in for a month. And he can if he gets going. Good luck to everybody else because then the, all the rest of the offense just falls into place in and around them. Yeah, I like that answer. And I think it's sometimes tempting to overcomplicate it and, you know, go for like an Adam Simber, you know, whatever the case. And look, there are cases to be made for a lot of players on this team, um, even players like a Whit Merrifield. So we can go in a lot of different directions. But with Vladdy, it's simple. He's one of the best hitters in the game. He's obviously one of the best hitters on this team. For you, as you're watching him in the course of the next eight weeks, what are going to be the indicators for you that say, okay, Vladdy is either where he needs to be or there's something missing from his approach? Well, let's think about that home run he hit against the Orioles earlier this week, right? That frozen rope, it's a, a pitch that basically nobody in baseball is, is hitting in that direction. And who, who can hit a ball with an apex of 43 feet, 398 feet out? Like, it is bananas. Yeah. You know, that's one of the types of swings that he's been having lately that really tell you he's right. Uh, there was a, a ball that he shot out to right field too. He's sort of the center middle opposite field on occasion. That's when his swing is at his best. He's being disciplined. He's not chasing. And 
I think we've seen that from him. And there's certainly another level it can go based on what we saw last year. Doesn't mean necessarily it's going to happen. It's kind of unfair to say, hey, this is your this is your ceiling. Be at your ceiling every year. But you know, for for eight weeks, he can do it. And I think. If he's doing those things, he's going to get on that type of run. It's going to really feed into the guys behind him and in front of him. And all of a sudden, this offense is next level. That ball, was that the one off Kramer, I want to say? It was yes. off Dean Kramer, right? So I, I was broadcasting that game with Wagner, and I was like furiously baseball <laughs> savanting. Because Vlad just like does things that are completely uncommon, right? That exceptional that only he does. Like in the literal sense of the word, we often say this guy is exceptional, but actually is like an exception that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits balls like that out and I'm not I don't have the stats in front of me but when I was looking them up it was something like only four balls this year with that launch angle or that apex had been home runs two of them were inside the parkers right one of them was here at Yankee Stadium and I forget who hit it but it was somebody who literally just like shot it short porch of all short porches and Vlad's went like almost 400 feet to be able to hit those line drives that just for most guys a line drive goes like this and comes down Vlad's just like keep going up until they hit the back of a bullpen yeah i was in the left field press box watching that and i remember thinking as i was watching that ball i'm like i can't i don't have a comp and trajectory for this home run (laughs) right like you just think about all the home runs that we see it's like the ball just had this such a unique flight path because it's just like screaming its way up and i'm like this isn't going to get high enough to get over the wall and they're like it's just going to keep going Uh, which is remarkable. And then, you know, there are a lot of examples with Vlad. The other one that immediately comes to mind is the one here in April against Garrett Cole on that fastball in off the plate that he somehow managed to get his hands in on and in an awkward physical position, still get off his best swing and send it 400 plus feet. Uh, You know, that's that's that ability. And, And Vlad's had a unique season in that, He's he's had some he's gotten beaten up a little bit. We think about the the when he got stepped on the cleat and how that same opened game, up. Same game, right? Or no, just, that was the hand. That right? was, yeah, it was yeah. the same game. He's gotten yeah. hit by the hand a couple times. He's had a few different incidents take place for him this year where you can tell that he hasn't always been his healthiest physical self, but he's still put up numbers through that. And I, I just think that it seems that he's feeling a little bit better. You're, you're starting to see him the personality come out and if he does it again it's such a difference here's the thing with Vladdy so this year he's a way better defensive first baseman his base running has gotten better in my opinion so you have these other aspects of his game that are improving we've seen last year how good he can be offensively so if he keeps those other elements which there's no reason to think that he can't you get back to an offensive level that he's at you're talking about a player clearly an MVP caliber player so not only would that drive the Blue Jays on the field, I, I have to think, Shy, that that would ease some of the pressure that exists on this team right now. Not all of it, because they still have a ton of work to do. They all need to produce. But I really do think that that would create a little bit of pressure off for other guys in the lineup. Yeah, 100%. Look, and I think with this question, like there, there are no wrong answers, no. right? And very much like you could say just as easily George Springer and can he be healthy and because he's such a spark plug and a catalyst for this team and and that fits too and same thing for Bo like Bo's had an even tougher year hasn't been himself uh has the ability to be one of the best hitters in the American League we've seen that but Vladdy's in a lot of ways the heartbeat on this club right 
And so when he's going and he's himself, I, I think just as you said there, Ben, like it does, it does reverberate across the lineup. And then you just think about even in this series here against the Yankees, you watch the way the Blue Jays are clearly game planning for Aaron Judge. And through the first two games, they've been very effective at containing him. You, you take Aaron Judge out of the mix, especially with the Yankees having a couple injuries in, the, in their batting order. Like it's so deflating for the rest of the lineup. Yeah. And if if when teams were containing Vladimir Guerrero Jr., it's tougher for everybody else. If Vlad gets going, all of a sudden it's just so much easier for everyone else to just be who they are. It's somebody had to answer Vlad, right? It's very like Ben would have picked that yeah. for sure. <laughs> Absolutely, lock it in. Whereas, like, if somebody asked me, I'm trying to be like the you know the smartest a hole in the room, right? I'm like building a <laughs> Nate Pearson case or like a Matt Bushman case or something like yeah. that, right? Um, that's just kind of my lean. But somebody had to go Vlad because really we can talk about the pieces around the margins with this team, and we could talk about like you say Kikuchi in the bullpen and what what Merrifield means for this lineup or Mitch talk- White, you know, like or- another. Like, like there are so many options and like everybody's got to do their part and the Blue Jays are going to need some guys to emerge and do a little bit more than what's expected for them uh, or expected of them but you know I'm sorry to cut you off there but I I do think sometimes there's an element of getting too cute like when your best players are your best players those guys less less is needed from them if you're going to be successful your impact guys are going to have to be your impact guys right you want to make the biggest difference it's with guys like Vlad and kind of finding that 30 points of weighted runs created plus that is missing this year mm-hmm. over last I guess the thing I kind of fall back on is is it unfair to compare Vlad against last season right like setting the bar that high when the expectations are like we were saying earlier yeah just be an MVP like we know that's <laughs> possible but it's also a 23 year old like you know in, at, at the highest level of the game like i don't care what kind of preternatural ability you have and how unusual and uncommon the things you do are like there's a reason why typically there's only like one guy a year who actually does that it was vlad last year and it was aaron judge this year it is so so hard to do that at this level so i almost feel like it's unfair the standard that we measure him against it's such a good point arden and the other thing to keep in mind is that he's 23, right? He's still learning how to be an MVP over a sustained extended period. And that there was clearly going to be an adjustment from the league to him. And he'd have to learn to, I mean, there were expectations on him last year, but it was also, well, can he do it? And now it's like, well, do it again and be better yeah. and win because <laughs> you have to go to the World Series. So you've got all the all that dynamic within that too, and that young players don't always develop in a linear line, right? Lots of young players fluctuate year to year before they hit their peak. I mean, look, Aaron Judge is a great example. We're talking about you think about Giancarlo Stanton too. Like yep. those guys haven't had steady progressions, and even even after they became well established, and they both got to the big leagues at a at a, a later age than Vlad did. Yeah, and, and it definitely is unfair. At the same time, Vlad Jr. is a player for his whole life who has faced unfair expectations and reached them. He is the son of a Hall of Famer. He reached the majors at 20 years old, and still here he is performing 
at an incredible level. So I actually think if anyone can do it, I do think it's Vlad Jr., which kind of reinforces your answer there, Shy. that, man, these next eight weeks, they have a chance to be pretty interesting. Well, it's the same case when he first came up, right? Remember when he was first called up and everyone expected him to be like the superstar of all superstars immediately. And there was a bit of a transition there, right? Like there was a bit of, uh, you know, adjustment phase. Maybe this is another adjustment as the league is sort of figured some things out about him and decide how they want to attack him. Maybe he's just going through another one of those phases. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back next season as the parachuters drop down <laughs> pretty cool. onto Yankee yeah. Stadium to rescue Shy from this hit. Um, <laughs> like, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back next year and actually does take another step. It's like you said, like, it's sometimes you go up, maybe you plateau, maybe you come down a little bit, but then you could go back up. Like, we've seen the ceiling, and I don't think that necessarily it's out of the question that he gets closer to it next year. I think Juan Soto and uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. probably skewed perceptions a little bit in terms of how how the development path goes, especially Soto. I mean, that guy is just, he's a unicorn's unicorn. Yeah. So uh, that that is definitely unfair. But I think you have to factor in, like, holistically what's gone on for this team this year. Struggled with expectations out of the gate. They had a couple really difficult periods of time. Uh, the change of the manager... It's a lot of stuff for a 23-year-old to deal with. And, you know, this team was sort of placed in the hands to a certain degree of both Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. They've had to carry a lot of this load. You know, George Springer's the one really veteran position player that was around, put in around them, Matt Chapman as well. But it was really Vlad and Bo, and they've had to navigate a lot of this. And it's a lot to put on some young kids. And for where we're at now, like what's happened has happened. He just has to be great, Vlad. For the next eight weeks and the Blue Jays can have some really really good results some really good outcomes Shy's got to go do TV there are parachuters dropping around us it's always something here I know it's always interesting Yankee Stadium but Shy, thanks so much read him at sportsnet.ca we'll talk to you next time pleasure as always guys All right, Dan Schulman's been kind enough to take time out of his busy schedule to join us on field it's here. It's not that busy, actually. <laughs> but no, we're not recording yet, right? Don't tell anybody that. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, because we have a very important question to ask you, as we've been asking all of our colleagues. Who is the Blue Jay you are most compelled to watch over the next six weeks? Well, I had two players, and I couldn't break the tie, so you were nice enough to say, use both of them. Yeah. So do you want one at a time, or do you want both names right now, and then we'll launch? Or uh... I mean, you have full creative license wow. here, I would okay. say. So whichever um, way you want to go artistically, okay. go ahead. I've got, on the position player side, I've got George Springer, for obvious reasons, just whether or not he's in the lineup on a consistent basis. And on the pitching side, I've got Jose Barrios, who to me has been one of the most intriguing, confounding, uh, talked about players on this team this year so those are the two that I think could decide where this team ends up and I'll uh, follow your lead from here on in well let's start with Brios there what are your theories why has this season been the way that it is so I'm not as good you and I have had some discussions about you know baseball savant and looking up tendencies and numbers I'm okay at it you're better at it I've spent more time looking up stuff on Barrios I think than any other player on this team yeah and again, I'm not great at it. Nothing jumps off the page. There are other hitters and pitchers where stuff will jump off the page and you can say, that's the problem. 
Um, it feels like in the in the starts where he's gotten knocked around, and he's really gotten knocked around, mm-hmm. it's been too many pitches over the middle of the plate, and instead of an RBI single, it's a three-run homer. And, and you know, instead of the inning going homer, walk, single, hit by pitch, it's walk, single, hit by pitch, homer. And what could be one or two runs is four or five runs. So I don't know if the term bad luck is in there, but there, I think there's been some bad sequencing luck for him. Do they have his pitches in certain starts? I don't know. Like, it's been 16 really good ones yeah. and eight really rough ones. Um, and they've won. I, I looked at it today. I think they've won 15 of the 16 starts where he's been really good. Uh-huh. And I think they've lost seven of the eight starts when he's been roughed up. Like, there's no middle ground. They need the bottom end to be middle ground the rest of the way, in my opinion. And realistically, with Jose Barrios, it almost seems like if he could become that number three starter where it is six innings and three earned runs every time, yeah. I think they would love that. They would sign up for that, I think, in a heartbeat. So I guess what will you be watching for from Barrios to determine, you know, what is he on? Is he on the way toward kind of restoring some of that balance right. to what we haven't seen so far? So a couple of things. And, and when he has a good inning, I sit there on the air and in my own mind, and I say, the stuff looks good. Yep. Right. Like that curveball broke this much, yep. and, and the two-seamer looks like it has life. But then he'll hit Austin Hedges, he'll graze his elbow on an 0-2 pitch, or he hit a lefty, I can't remember who it was, with a curveball. I mean, a curveball that moved two feet, and he hit him in the knee. And so that's one thing. When he gets to two strikes, can he not make that mistake? Can he finish the at-bat? Whether that means don't hit the guy, don't walk the guy, don't give up a hit. And if stuff starts to go sideways a little bit, as it did in his last start here, can he minimize the damage? And he did. Yeah. And you guys will remember the sequence better than me, but there was a run in, there were two men on, and it was Judge Rizzo Donaldson. Right. And he gave up a run on a ground ball to Judge, but then he got Rizzo and Donaldson. So it was a two-run inning, not a four-run inning or a five-run inning. If this is one of his rough starts, somebody's hitting the ball into the seats. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't let that happen. And I said on the air, that was a 92 game. I thought the most important inning of the game was that half inning when he only gave up the two runs. So to me, it's can he finish off in a bat when he gets to two strikes? And can he minimize the damage? Because more crazy, well, Gosman's had some crazy stuff too, but there's been a lot of crazy stuff with Brios. Can he minimize the damage when stuff gets crazy? And I thought that was a huge moment for him, not letting yeah. that spiral. Because like you said, we've seen things go in a really pear-shaped direction in other outings, in other similar spots this year. I thought it was also interesting to see him holding his glove a little bit differently yeah. in that start, doing some different stuff with just his setup and where the ball is. I wonder if they think he's tipping. Because I know you're having the same conversations we are with people behind the scenes who are just as confounded yeah. as Jose Brios is, as we are, about why these regressions keep happening whenever he seems to put things back on the tracks I kind of wonder if other teams have something on him I I think it's possible I I will freely admit in game I didn't notice his shoulder was a little more turned his glove was a little different you know post game I see you I see Chris Black and others talking about it and then the light bulb goes on but I'm not good enough to to notice subtle changes in the game I think the next thing I'm going to do as soon as I go upstairs after this is look at the eight rough ones and say okay if that team had his pitches, did he face them again after that, and did he have a good one? Like, right. is he is his because it doesn't feel like all the good ones have been against these teams, and all the bad ones have been against those teams. Like, it's been hot and cold against different teams too. I do know, and you guys know this: that six start stretch that he had in July that was really good. That was a bit of a softer part of the schedule, and the yeah. schedule 
you know, it'll have its peaks and it'll have its valleys and you face who you face. So, um, but again, when I watch the stuff, and I think I said this on the air, if you didn't know who this guy was or what he's supposed to be or how much money he makes and somebody just said, what do you think? You'd say, that picture looks pretty good, right? That stuff looks good. So even at his worst... I still have always had significantly more faith in him than, say, a, you say Kikuchi to figure it out as a starting pitcher this year. I still believe in Jose Barrios. Yeah, the velo's up. He throws strikes. Those are all good signs. Like you said, the curveball um, has a lot of movement. And it's interesting. Arden and I have talked about this in the last couple of weeks. But one way or another, the Jays really do need four starting pitchers to be good. Absolutely. Right? Because that last couple of games of the season could be important. Let's say you go three games in the wild card. Well, okay, you go three games, you win that series. Who's starting game one and game five of the DS? You really do need Barrios. Yes. And forget, let's throw out for a moment if Barrios is three and Stripling is four the other way around. Doesn't matter. Uh, so Manoa, Gosman in some order are one, two. Like mm-hmm. you say, it goes to a game three. Let's say you pitch Barrios. Stripling is your game one starter. Stripling is your game five starter. But then Barrios might come back as your three and your seven, yeah. right? So yeah. there are no unimportant games in the yeah. playoffs. And you're exactly right. You need four. Also, the schedule's a little different this year. It's, it's a little wonky with where the off days are. And I, I don't have it memorized. But you absolutely need four starters. And based on what we've seen, if they were to make the playoffs, Mitch White, in my mind, would then slot in as that, okay, a game goes extra innings or a starter gets knocked out early or something like that. He has shown the ability, I think. To, to go out there and do a very respectable job, and he's done it as a starter. I'm sure he can do it as a middleman, long reliever, that sort of thing. But you're right, absolutely, in this day and age, I think you need you, you need a lot of good relievers too, but I still think you do need that fourth starter. So let's touch on your other choice, George Springer, and it's Sunday here at Yankee Stadium, final game here in the Bronx, and George Springer's not in the lineup. Yeah. Again, after fouling that ball off of his knee, obviously he's had the issues with the elbow this year. What's just a realistic expectation in terms of availability and production for George Springer over the rest of the year? You just asked me a question. You know I don't have the answer to. <laughs> well, do what, you have the answer to that question? I absolutely do. No, no one does. does. No one Nobody does. does. And well, that's why he's on my list. Yeah. Right? And, and that's why he's on my list. Because he could be in the lineup or out of the lineup. He could be DH or center field. And if he's in the lineup, it's like a flow chart. If he's in the lineup, he could be healthy enough to be the best version of himself, or he could be the Springer that we've seen on a number of occasions over the last two years where you can see he is physically... Um, uh, compromised? Compromised. Thank you very much. Physically compromised. Can you come up to the booth for when that happens live? <laughs> physically compromised in some areas, and then he can't be the best version of himself. So for me, he was an easy pick for the, the question that yeah. you wanted to ask because the, the 10 out of 10 George Springer is a star. But that's right? not realistic at this point, yeah. is it? I can't imagine over these next eight, eight weeks. I could nine? see it. I could see it offensively. Yeah. Like if he doesn't foul the ball off his knee, has he DH the last three days? He's coming off a five-hit game. I know two of them weren't hit all that hard, but yeah. like, if I said to you right now, he's only going to DH the rest of the year, but he's going to be very productive offensively. I think any Blue Jay fan signs up for that in a heartbeat. You yeah. don't even think. You check that yeah. box and you say. All right, Merrifield and Tapia, you guys split center field. But we don't even know that. And that's why he's such a wild card, because when he's in there, he's the leadoff hitter. Guriel can hit third or wherever they want to put him. Your bench is stronger because you've got, you know, one guy who's in the lineup is on the bench. You've got more pinch running, pinch hitting, defensive options, that sort of thing. To me, he's 
as important a guy as there is on this team. Absolutely. And to me, you know, as you're trying to manage his health and manage his workload, it honestly makes sense to give him stretches like this, where if he's not feeling 100%, you have to let him rest up. Because realistically, you need him to be healthy for the playoffs. They have some pretty decent depth behind him in the form of Tapia or Merrifield, some major league players you can sub in there. So, you know, I don't know where you land on this, Dan, but to me, it, you have to find him breathers. And if it, even if it means another IL stint at some point yeah. in the next 40 days. Yeah. And I don't know ultimately who's making the decision. Is George saying, I can go? Are the trainers saying you can go or you can't go? Is John Schneider saying you can go or you can't? We don't know the answers to any of that. It, it's such a mystery. I mean, you guys are are on the beat every day like I am. Charlie Montoyo and now John Schneider get asked about George Springer more than any other player yeah. on this team, more than any three other players on this team, because unfortunately it's been an ongoing thing. So, you know, we don't have all the information. You know, they've never even told us what's going on in the elbow. Right. It's right. elbow inflammation. It's just kind of a generic thing so we'll find out a we'll, week after the blue jay right, season right. Ends. It's, uh, yes. we'll know when the procedure happens exactly. yes unfortunately yeah. so um but i don't think about oh four more years and 150 i don't think about any of that i just think about how valuable he can be for this team in the next five six weeks yeah. and he's a force at the top of the order he pushes everybody else down a slot and and it just makes the whole lineup deeper i've always said he kind of defies objective reasonable analysis sometimes because you'll see him take the swing where he grimaces and he looks terrible but then he goes five for five and you'll see him throw from the outfield and it doesn't look great and he's taking off his glove and he's hanging and then he'll go crashing into the wall and make the most incredible grab you've seen of the season he's a guy who's made me believe in clutch honestly over the last two years because of how big he has shown up in big moments when available he's been george springer yeah everything's consistent hard hit rate walks strikeouts whatever process indicator you want to take he's been george springer the only question has been availability and that just defies prediction as well yeah because who can who knew that he was going to miss these three games after the five for five night on thursday no and i haven't even gone back and looked at the tape i don't know if you guys have i haven't gone back and looked at wherever the foul ball happened uh it was one of those five at bats i i assume but of all the energy i'm thinking about george springer right now 99 percent of it is offensive one percent of it is defensive if they don't get him in the outfield it's okay they've got you know guriel tapia or merrifield teoscar hernandez and jackie bradley jr they've got guys you know how would you Uh, feel about the impact it has then on the lineup when the dh spot is taken up by george springer like say he gets to a point where he can dh final couple weeks of the year he can't play the field what does that mean for alejandro kirk what does that mean for vladimir guerrero jr right i i think for vladdy you just he's got to play first he's just got to play first you got some off days and you got to figure that out if Kirk, and Kirk's an important bat, obviously. So it, it means Kirk needs to catch more in order to play more, which means Jansen catches less. But this is one of these, you know, it's a top-down situation, right? Fix your most important problem and then deal with your second most <laughs> important problem and then your third most. It does have a ripple effect because, as you say, they like to rotate guys through. But, you know, like today, for example, Teoscar Hernandez is DHing foul the ball off his foot yesterday. It is a little bit precarious when one guy is DHing all the time, but even if George is DHing all the time, I don't think he's playing seven days a week. Right. He's playing, if there are six or seven games, he's probably playing five. So the other one or two, that's when you can throw Kirk in there, you know, and you sit down and you look seven games out and you try to figure it out. Manoa's pitching here, so Kirk's got to catch there. You know, it's a real Rubik's Cube, and John Schneider used that term yesterday. It's a real Rubik's Cube for them to work out, but I don't know that there's any. You, you know, any benefit in planning September 28th now 
they got to figure out August 22nd, tomorrow, now, you know. And I I think one way or another, as George Springer walks behind us into center field, for any eagle-eyed viewers, uh, might have noticed that. (laughs) Uh, So quite the timing Was there there a trainer with him? Uh, Yes, yes, Uh, there was. He looked comfortable. Drew's with him. (laughs) We'll see where it leads. But, um, you know, as, as we're looking ahead at this stretch here, such an important stretch for the team, and I think this is why they added George Springer. This is why they spent $150 million. They're not sure what they're going to get, but to me, that's a contract that you like. If you're the Blue Jays right now, you want George Springer, you yes. want that contract. It's a lot of money, but this is why you add those $30 million players, and he has the chance to really make a huge impact here. Well, yeah, he's a great player who has played on a World Series championship team. We all know there's an asterisk or, right. or circumstances there, but he's been a great player on great teams. He doesn't get overwhelmed by the moment never 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 does he get overwhelmed by the moment and i think there's value in that as the games get bigger that he gives to bobachette or vladimir guerrero or lourdes guriel or any of the other guys he's also as you guys well know he's an energy giver Mm -hmm. right and the more i think as great as he is giving energy when he's not playing there's obviously naturally more there when he is playing so um on every level i think it's critical for them to have him in the lineup not necessarily in the field I think they can figure that out. I think they, they just need that bat in the lineup. A prediction. He's going to have a massive moment at some point over the next six weeks. I think about that Grand Slam against Oakland, was it, last year? Remember that one? I think about, look, the guy's 1,000th career hit is his first pinch hit yeah. of his career. Like, could you imagine? Has anybody else ever had no. their 1,000th hit? That's too fluky to have been right? done before. Like, yeah. George Springer yeah. just does George Springer things yeah. like that. And I really feel like there is, like, a real monumental signature moment moment coming for him down the stretch and I think it could be as simple as a road game late in the season he's the first batter of the game and he puts one in the seats and he sets the tone for the game against a good pitcher a Garrett Cole type guy and all of a sudden the other team goes "Uh uh-oh the good Blue Jays are here you know so listen he's a he's a star player who's been beset by injuries so just on that basis alone I think he's one of the most important tipping point guys for this team the good Dan Schulman is always here (laughs) thank you for your time talk to you later thank you guys I appreciate it our thanks to Ben Wagner Shai Davidi Dan Schulman Rash Madani Christian Ryan Nick Andrade and you for watching he's Ben Nixon Smith I'm Martin Zwelling talk to you next time on At The Letters